a chance to hear from our graduating seniors via Zoom call. It is my great pleasure to welcome all of you, distinguished guests, core group leaders, families, friends, and members of our graduating class to the class of 2020 virtual commencement ceremony for our graduates from Pulpit Rock Student Ministries. Hello, my name is Avery Lamson, and I'm a graduate of Pine Creek High School. I'm Brendan Miller, I'm a graduate from Shine Mountain High School. I'm Ellie Myers. I'm a graduate of Coronado High School. I'm Teresia Robinson. I'm a graduate of Liberty High School. I'm Chris Dumash, class of 2020 grad, and I graduated from Rampart High School. Uh, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um. The first real job that I wanted, you know, after wanting to be a princess. Is I wanted to fly. I wanted to be a pilot. I was a ballerina. And um, that started when I was like two and I saw a ballerina at the Pikes Peak Center. And then like 12 years of hard work later, I'm not going to be a ballerina. <laughs> be a spy. Ooh. Yes, that was always my dream. and. I don't know if spy is the correct term, but um, I'm hoping someday I can do something in that realm. So I wanted to be a toy maker, like specifically wind-up toys. When I was a child, I wanted to be a firefighter. I mean, every time I heard those sounds, my little heart would just like thump. Uh, keep your head up. I think there's a lot of things that you know, have happened over high school that um, I didn't have any control over. So the best thing in that situation is to um, just keep looking forward and, and, you know, enjoy what you can and enjoy where God's put you. I told them that everything's going to work out. Um, school, life, everything has late nights, um, lots of work, lots of struggles. But in the end, it's going to work out. It's going to find a way. Like I feel things very deeply, so I've kind of learned ways that I can hold back on that and kind of channel it instead of just letting myself go haywire. Everything that happens over the next four years, you will be able to put into a teaching moment to help somebody else. I'm easily stressed, so I've learned how to better de-stress. Having that, those friends and community around you, it just makes life so much better. And just Avery Lampson. Okay. <laughs> well done. Brendan Miller. <laughs> Ellie Myers. <laughs> Emma Tuggle. Give me a five, John. Good job. Teresia Robinson. <laughs> Move your tassels from the right to the left. 
Congratulations. Let's give everyone a round of applause. In three, two, one, give it a rip. <laughs> I love you all. Congratulations, Class 2020. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, good morning. That was good and bittersweet and sad and all kinds of things all wrapped in together. Um, hey, good morning. My name is Thomas Thompson. I'm on staff here at Pulpit Rock Church, and I'm excited to see live people. You guys are like 3D. We're excited that you are here, and we're excited that right next door in the student center, you guys are over there as well, so welcome to you. Uh, welcome to our gathering over at Third Space Coffee. Uh, I was there last week, and they had coffee, and we don't have coffee here, and I really wish we did have some coffee, but uh, we don't. So, uh, also to all of you that are in your living rooms and are watching right now, or maybe with friends or your small group or your family, and, and you probably also have coffee, so uh, good for you. One day, soon, we're all going to be back here together with each other, the Lord, and coffee. So I'm looking forward to that. Let me pray for us, and we'll dive into God's word together. <clears throat> Lord, we're grateful for these graduating seniors, these uh, kids who are looking at the next part of their life. Uh, Lord, our hearts are heavy for them, as this has just been such a strange season. And in strange seasons like this, we return to your word. We return to what's true your word is an anchor and a compass for us. And so uh, may you open it up to us as we dive in today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I loved uh, watching that video and thinking about our students persevering and, and finishing this lap of their life. And they're starting this brand new lap of their life. And this race is wide open for them. And I loved Mark's question, what did you want to be when you grew up? That's a good question. We're still, uh, some of us are still asking that question. I'm learning that it's important that we keep asking that question. And I'm learning that it's important to be thinking about and preparing for the next lap of your life, whether you are 18 or 80. There's a lap coming down the road for you, this next lap. And I began to think about what a lap was like when I was actually in high school, way, way back in the day. I ran something called the Mile Relay. The mile relay is basically four different guys, each run one time around the, la uh, the track, and they have this baton that they hand off to each other. We'd always practice handing off the baton, and we'd practice handing off the baton, because the worst thing in the world with the baton would be what? To drop it. It was always that. So it was those juncture points, those transition points, where it was very important to have a good grip on the baton. Now, my role on the team was the anchor. That means I was the last runner. Sometimes I would get the baton, and I would have to make sure that we kept a lead. Sometimes I would get a baton, and I had to try to, to close a gap. And then sometimes, more often than I probably like, I'd get the baton, and we were completely out of the race. And then I would have to run the best race I could. That was the most difficult part of a kind of race for me to run, because the chance to win was taken off the table. So if the chance to win is taken off the table, what did, I, what did I resort to? I resorted to something in those moments called the drive to finish well. 
Now, flash forward to age 45, I began to experience something at 45. Um, first of all, it was just a lot of creaks and groans. I don't know where that came from. But I also began to experience something else. At 45, I began to be able to see the finish line of my life. And that's a sobering vision to start to realize because you start thinking, man, there's a lot of things I thought I would have done at this point in my life and I haven't done them. And you realize some doors have, and some windows have closed. And, and what was really the image for me was I realized there are more miles in my rearview mirror than there are in the windshield ahead of me. Now, for some people, this can become what's called a midlife crisis. They have not prepared for it. And so they attempt to make sense of it, and sometimes in unhealthy ways. But it doesn't have to be a midlife crisis. I think it can be a midlife transition. And so five years ago, I initiated a project with my leadership coach called Hitting 50 Hard. I wanted to hit 50 hard. I wanted to hit 50 and be in the most powerful places I, position I could be. I wanted to hit 50 hard in the best health I could be. So I got serious about what I was eating and how I was working out. I wanted to hit 50 hard in the strongest spiritual place I could be. So I was leaning into some new practices of prayer and reflection. I wanted to hit 50 hard in the most emotionally healthy place I could be. And I realized I needed to deal with some unresolved grief and leadership issues. And so basically, 50, hitting 50 hard meant being proactive about my transition to the next lap of my life, handing the baton off to future me. Just like these high school seniors who graduated just now, they're really handing off their high school experience to this new kid called What's Next? And what I want to share with you this morning is about the next lap of your life. How does this lap fit in the overall scheme of you finishing your race well? And why is finishing your race so well? Well, the answer is found in a scripture that's been shaping me for the last few years, and it's found in Matthew chapter 25. And I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 14. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling stories about this thing called the kingdom of heaven. And people are asking him, what is this kingdom going to be like? What is this kingdom going to be like? And so he answers in verse 14. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Now the man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the man with two bags gained two more. But the one who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, Jesus says, the master of these servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. I've gained five more. Master replied, well done, good, faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags also came. Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. Again, same, same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Well, we know it's coming, right? <clears throat> the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, 
gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. Uh, see, here it is. I, I still have it. Here's your, here's your original gold back for you. Now, how do you think the, ma- the master's going to respond to this guy? His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I haven't sown, and you know I gather where I, I have not scattered seed. Then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least have the interest so take that bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has ten bags. Forever has, ha, who, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from him. Well, that's, a, that's one of Jesus' longest stories. And it had a lot of passion in it. What's he talking about? Well, remember, he was asked the question, you know, what is the kingdom? And so he's talking about kingdom expectations. What does the king expect of followers in his kingdom? And what we learn from this story that the king expects is the king expects stewardship. He expects his followers to to steward well what they've been given. Now, this is not a competition to beat this one or that. I love the fact that there wasn't like a a, a bigger prize or or, or honor for the guy who had uh, five bags versus two. It wasn't like that. It's a call to take what God has entrusted you with, and then this phrase is so key, each according to his ability, leverage that towards the kingdom. Now, that phrase, each according to your ability, his ability is another way of saying it doesn't matter if you get the baton and you're five talents ahead or you're two talents behind, you've got to run. You've got to run that race and steward what you have. Now, how long are we supposed to steward what God has entrusted us with? Well, in this story, if you noticed, it wasn't for a few hours. It wasn't for a few days. It was, quote, after a long time. The master was gone. It seemed like ages. And only at the end of this time could the servants know their time of stewardship was over. Only when the master returned would they know. And only when the master returned would they know, did we finish well? So, What I'm getting at is this is not just a parable about stewardship in general, but specifically it is about stewarding what we have to the very end of our life when we see the master and we finally hand back over to him the baton. This parable is calling us to finish well. Let me give you a definition of finishing well. Finishing well in your life is when you have stewarded what God has entrusted to us to the very end. It's stewarding what God has entrusted to us to the very end. Now, I've always been fascinated by transitions. I've always been fascinated by the handoff of the baton. I've been fascinated by how people wrap up their lives. And I've been a student of that. And I've seen some people finish poorly, some finish okay. But then there are people who really seem to finish well. What is that? Let me throw in what I think the key to finishing well is. Those who finish well understand that the number one talent God has entrusted us with is ourselves. Our very lives. We are the baton. The days that we've been given to live, the unique ways that God has wired us, our passions, our interests, our giftedness, the dreams that God has birthed in our hearts, the experiences that God has brokered us through that have shaped us, we can either pay attention to ourselves and lead ourselves to pursue these things, or we can just bury them and settle in. 
In Jesus' parable, I really believe the talents that the servants were entrusted with, they were kind of secondary. What was really being tested was themselves. They were the baton. Would they lead themselves to steward the master's talents? The servant with five talents, he went at once and put the money to work. He led himself to act. The one with two bags gained two more. He also led himself to act. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. That's his life. And I don't know if it was out of fear. It seems to be some, connected to some kind of misunderstanding of the master. He failed to lead himself. And this is where I'm beginning to see that people fail in the next lap of their life, when they don't understand that there's a master. A master who's entrusted them with the most valuable thing in the world. They're uniquely divinely designed life. And that master expects us to steward what he's given us to the very end of our race so that we can finish well. And I want you to hear this. Only you can do this for yourself. No one can do this for you. Only you can steward your own life. That's exactly how God likes it. So what does it look like to steward your life? And what does it look like to begin to lead yourself well into the the next lap of whatever your life is going to come next? It's a pretty broad topic. Let me offer you three kind of areas of thought about really leading yourself well. First of all this, leading myself well means knowing how God wired me. I love what God told Jeremiah. Before you were in the womb, I knew you. Before you were even born, I set you apart. It's this this divine design. This is one of the talents that God has given you. You can't lead who you are unless you really understand how you are. How did God make you? Why do you struggle with this and you don't? Why do you struggle in this area and he doesn't? What energizes you? What is your heart drawn to in this world? I really believe that when we begin to know ourselves, we can see God's fingerprints. God has such an unlimited amount of creativity that no two people are alike. And when you embrace your uniqueness, that is an act of worship. The more that we know ourselves and how we're made, the more we can follow God and know him. It's almost as if when you begin to accept this is how God has created me and I'm going to step into following that and where that takes me, it's like you're saying this to, to God. God, I so value your workmanship in me that I'm going to lead my life towards that. That's a God-honoring statement. That's stewarding what you've been given. And this is why one of the reasons at Pulpit Rock that we talk a lot about finding, finding out who we are. We have classes like LifeWorks that begin to unpack how you're wired and help you connect to that to what God could be doing in your life. Or when we talk about the Enneagram, it's another tool to understand, wow, God has wired me this way, and now I can learn to react to that. Where are you leaning in? and embracing the way that you've been made. Here's another area. Leading myself well means paying attention to key gaps in my life. We all have gaps in our life, and I just would describe it this way. It's like this is where I know I could be in this area, this is where I am, and there is a gap, and it's frustrating because I know I know it could be there. It could be a frustration in your marriage. It's not where we hope it would be. Could be a a gap in your career. You feel like, I don't know where to go. I'm stuck. I don't know what God's doing. Could be a frustration in your spiritual life where you go, you know, I know God's calling me here and I'm just here and I don't know how to get from here to there. 
this third servant, boy, this gap in his life seemed to be connected to his beliefs about the master. His beliefs made him afraid, and so he never tried to reach who he could become. He never stretched himself. He never said, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to, no. He buried his talents and just waited out the rest of his time. And so kind of here's this life he could have had, and then here's just this life that he buried until the master showed up. We don't know what kind of servant this guy was before this story, but what we can see is he did not finish well. People, when God shows us a gap in our lives, we are responsible to do something about that. And I want to encourage you, the time to address a gap is now before you're handed a baton for the next lap. The future's only getting shorter. This is one of the reasons why at Pulpit Rock, and I'm not trying to make this a, a commercial for Pulpit Rock, I'm just bragging on some stuff. It's one of the reasons why community is so important. We need other people in our lives. We, we can't always see the gaps in our own lives. But when we allow other people in and we begin to enter into real community and sit at a table and talk and open our hearts and open the word, God uses other people to help us identify and even close the gaps in our lives. Let me ask this. Where are you sensing a gap in your life between where God is calling you and where you are? One third area, though, that I I might just throw out as I'm kind of wrapping up is this. Leading myself well means keeping focused on the next lap. What has God put you on this earth to do? What is his dream for you? Our race is not going to run forever. <laughs> I look at these graduating seniors, and, they, and I'm sure that they're thinking that their lives are going to be 400 years old, long, right? I remember when I thought 30 was old. Life doesn't go on forever. The master will return from the journey, and we want to steward our talents to the very end. Listen again to those words. After a long time, the master of these servants returned. Did you notice the one thing that the servants were not entrusted with? They were entrusted with the talents. They were entrusted with the estate. They were entrusted with themselves. They had all these things their master had entrusted them with. The one thing he did not entrust them with was the timing of his return. That was out of their control. We can plan for our futures, but we don't know how long our laps will last. This is, not, this is something that, why, why it's so important that you can't ignore this or delay it or say, I'll just wait till later in my life to address that issue because the future is always getting shorter. This is why I worded this specifically. I said, leading myself well means keeping focused on the next lap. I didn't say the last lap because one day, a day you don't get to determine your next lap will end up being your last lap. But we don't know. So we have to run each lap as if it's the last lap. Well, I'd like to close this morning by sharing a source of inspiration that's helped me frame my last lap. And what I want to do is I want to kind of show you how I took those three questions and, and really kind of played them out in my life. And my hope is when I share this story, maybe some of you will be inspired or have some creative thoughts on how you could steward your next lap as well. And this inspiration is found in the story of Moses and the burning bush. Remember Moses sitting in a pasture for how many years was he out there? Forty years. Shepherding sheep. Every morning, Moses did the same thing. He got up. He had his coffee. I believe it. Because um, he was a Hebrew. Well, they're only laughing here on, live. This is great. 
Every 40 years, he got up to the same thing. One morning was different. He walked out, and he saw this bush that was on fire, yet it was not being consumed. This bush was God's way of getting Moses' attention and calling him to a new lap of his life, and it was to lead his people out of bondage, right? Now, the older I've gotten, the more I've resonated with the power of this moment. And what's happening on this macro level is this amazing story of how God can use anyone, any ordinary person, to accomplish something extraordinary, right? But on a very personal level, I believe the burning bush is God saying this to Moses. Moses, this ain't it. I, got new, I have new dreams for your next lap, things that you couldn't even imagine, things I've been preparing you for all your life, and you didn't even know it, things I've been dreaming about for you. There are still mountains for you and I to climb. Let's hand the baton off together. And off they went. And I think about the power of this message that the, the second half of Moses' life could be different from the first half of his life. Better even, instead of a winding down, instead of a guy going, well, I guess the next 40 years, or I'll just do this until I die. No, 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 it's, it's ramping up. Moses is being given a baton, being told to grab the lead, and he's being offered an opportunity to finish his life well. Now, I'm not as old as Moses was, but I felt the heat of the burning bush. I felt it uh, two and a half years ago on my sabbatical as I started to reflect on Matthew 25. It really sunk in, and I thought, well, how am I going to steward what I've been given in, in my life towards the next lap? I felt it a year and a half ago when I began to talk with our, some of our elders about me stepping out of the role of senior pastor. And kind of like Moses, I, I knew what I was stepping out of, but I didn't know what I was stepping into. I felt it when this church graciously invited me to stay on through the transition to Jonathan's leadership team giving me space to explore some new ways and test some things out. And I began to realize that God was inviting me to his, my next lap of life, and it's this, helping people have the conversations that steward their story forward. It's really the distillation of the table that we've been talking about at Pope Rock for so long. It's what I've been chasing for the last decade of my life. How can I get people to the table to talk about what's important? Asking questions, where are you stuck? Seeing them connect with how God has wired them, what God is guiding them, where God is taking them. It's such a shift in my life from, I, I feel like the earlier days of being a pastor, discipleship kind of seemed one way. It was like, oh, well, I have the answers. Let me give them to you. You write them down. And, and what I'm realizing now is that uh, for me, a lot more of it is, what is God doing in your life? Let's unpack that. Let's figure that out. I'm really excited to go with that. Yeah. Kalani? So I didn't know where to go with that. And I'll tell you this, I, when I speak with leaders who are considering transitions in their life, I see their eyes light up as they talk about what they would love to do, but then they interrupt themselves with this statement, but I just don't see how that could happen. I don't know how that would work financially. I don't know how. And just like that, their future's cut off before they even get going. Did you just see that with Moses? God is barely done speaking. His words are still reverberating out there, and Moses starts asking how it's going to work. The how is the enemy of the what. How shorts circuits the dreaming. So sometimes in life we have to set the how aside and connect to the who and the what. Give that what space to breathe. Over the last year I began to understand, well, hey, this thing that I'm trying to do in my life is called coaching. It's called coaching because it's helping people identify the gap between where they are, where God is calling them, and help them close that gap. And so 
I thought, this is what I want to do, but I don't know how. And then the house started to fall in place. The, the leadership coach that helped me with that project, Hitting 50 Hard, he called me up and he said, hey, I, I, would you like to come and join me? I'll train you. I'll certify you. I'll personally mentor you in the ministry of what I do. And so I joined him. So for the last six months, I've kind of had these three jobs. I've been working here at Pulpit. I've been working with Cuz I Love You, nonprofit in the city. And then at nights, I would go home and get, do the hard work of training and preparing and beginning to coach. Now, suggestion, trying to launch a new ministry during a global worldwide pandemic is not the smartest business plan, right? You know what? Walking into the throne room of Pharaoh as an 80-year-old and saying, I demand, also isn't the world's smartest plan. But you have to remember in both these situations, it's not the how. It's the who and it's the what. When I stepped down this year, when I stepped down last year, Jonathan and the elders asked if I would stay on for a year. That year ends this month, so this will be my last month as a staff member at Pulpit Rock. It won't be like my, it will not be my last month as a member of Pulpit Rock. We will still be around. Uh, my family and I are looking forward to doing something that we've actually never done, just been a part of a spiritual community. What's it like to to get to walk in late with your Starbucks coffee? I'm just, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying, what's that like? That sounds fun. Sounds like a cool thing. I'm going to try that. No judgment. We're looking forward to Pulpit Rock's next lap. This church has a very strong staff, elders, leadership team. Jonathan has a clear vision of the road ahead. And I'll just throw this out for free. Um, Over the last year, I've worked with probably about 100 churches in our city. This church holds a unique space in Colorado Springs. There's nothing else like it. It's very unique. It's got its problems, yes. One of them is about to disappear, <laughs> but, uh, but it is a very unique place, so be a part of this. So great men and women of God, it is, it is uh, my gratefulness to have journeyed with you in the last path, lap of my life. I'm looking forward to stewarding the next lap with you. But let me close by asking you a question. Who do you want to be when you grow up? What does the next lap of your life look like? Remember it, it could be your last lap, but it's just your next lap. You've been entrusted with the greatest talent ever, your unique life, God-given, God-designed. How are you going to steward it so you can finish well? Let me give you three questions as we close in prayer that maybe could drive some thinking for you this week. Three questions. How has God wired me? Where are the gaps in my life? What conversations do I need to have about the next lap of my life? Those are conversations with Jesus Christ. They are conversations with the ones closest to you. They are conversations with the people who know you and love you. What are those conversations? I encourage you to grab these questions and spend some time processing them with Jesus and people who know and love you. And know that Pulpit Rock is a church ready to cheer you on. What's your next lap? Will you pray with me? Jesus, whatever that third servant thought about the master, uh, what we know is true about you. You are a great God, a creative God, a God who entrusts us with the most precious thing you've ever created, life. Thank you that you want to partner with us, that you want to call us forward, that we can look past even some of the the things that we're in right now and say, 
Nothing is wasted. Best is yet to come. I love that you're a God that taps an 80-year-old man on the shoulder and says, come on, let's go play. You're a good God. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for giving us a vision for the next lap of our lives.